Wow, sex. Are we ready to deal with this in a Bible discussion? Some generations, perhaps, but for many, this topic may be one of those discussions that's dirty and something no one talks about. But if you look at the books of Paul historically, sex was prevalent in many of the cultures he visited. Some of it was even explicit and public, and most times it was twisted away from the model God had established. Paul understood how deviant it had become and tried to educate the new Christians about purity. If we are truly to discuss this topic, shouldn't we also look at our history and how we have covered and, and shunned this topic? And that in and of itself is almost as bad as being explicit. If the body and sex was created by God, shouldn't our search in scripture lead us to an honest approach on how to live our lives and how to discuss this topic? Because if you look at it, our cultures and politics today have probably done more to harm our views of sex, and we haven't gone back to scripture to honestly discover what God says in context. We continue our misconceptions to the detriment of our relationships. God created us, all of what makes us, us. Why then do we make some part of us seem like it should be dirty? God doesn't make anything that can ever be considered dirty. Well, except dirt. I'm Micah Mueller, and this is Sabbath School University. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. Sabbath School U. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Welcome back to our discussion today and a continued study in 1 Thessalonians. This time we're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians 4 and do we ever have a hot potato coming up? And for that hot potato, we have a panel of guests here. Introduce yourself and, and maybe tell us what is your, if you could imagine a vacation spot that you'd like to go to, where would that be? Hmm, my name is Casper Houghton Jr. Uh, favorite vacation spot, I guess it would be anywhere where my family is, um, where we can spend time together, really. That is very nice. Yeah. My name is Autumn Osterman, and I would probably say somewhere out west. I love the big mountains in, in the mm. west, so maybe somewhere like the Grand Tetons in Wyoming would be nice. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Hi, my name is Jenner Becerra, and I would like to go to my home country, Peru. And yeah, just go to the mountains or the jungle or anywhere there. It just will be, will be a good vacation. <laughs> Very nice. Those are all wonderful places. If you'd ask me, uh, I'd say the mountains. Mm -hmm. I grew up with the Alps, and our kitchen window is just wow. full of wow. Alps. And so I've always loved mountains. My wife loves the beach. Mm. And so that's kind of... Bit of a difference there. <laughs> so far, I've lost out. <laughs> well, we're going to study a very hot topic today. And so um, we need to pray about this. And we need to read a, a passage to get us uh, thinking mm. into this from our, our passage. Um, should I read? Yes, please. If you could um, read uh, our passage. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, 
For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And with this, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Querido Jesús, te damos gracias por esta oportunidad aquí de poder abrir tu palabra y poder aprender de ti y del mensaje que tienes. Te rogamos que tu Espíritu Santo esté en esta, en esta tarde aquí y que podamos hacerlo bien. Quédate con nosotros, Padre, y ayúdanos a poder hablar de, de sexo y, y de qué implicaciones tiene en nuestras vidas y cómo hacerlo bien. Gracias, Jesús. En nombre de Jesús oramos. Amén. 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 Again, you just read the text and it's about holy living hmm. and holy hmm. lives. What is up with this? That's terminology that I don't use when I speak. What do you understand when it says holy living? Well, uh, when I was reading through this passage and, and through the, the, the text that we have in our lesson, I was thinking how before we even start talking about sexual purity uh, or sexual immorality, um, we've got to first talk about the life, the lifestyle that God wants mm -hmm. for us, the kingdom lifestyle. And there's a kind of a, a, a global picture that that we take to it, and um, it's where we come to our key text uh, that says he wants us to live lives that are pure. And um, uh, in Matthew, um, one, of our, one of our texts to study, uh, it talks about another aspect of holy lives, holy living, um, that we don't tend to associate with holy living in the, the, the social justice aspect, where we, we are to be uh, the hands and feet of Christ in the world around us actively in addition to what we normally think of holy living as being following uh, the, God's law uh, that, that's laid out in the Ten Commandments. Um, when Jesus says um, to, to the people there who are, well, in his example, when Jesus says, I did not know you, it was for uh, not living lives, of, not living Christian lives, and, and not necessarily not following the law, just not living out the law in, in, in daily lives. So it seems like we first have to talk about holy what, is living, holy living? what is holy living as a whole. Yeah. I think for me, I have to look at the, the word holy. What is holy? And uh, my mind constantly goes back to where Christ or God's presence makes something holy. You see that all throughout Exodus, you know, in the sanctuary, that something was holy because Christ's presence was there. And mm -hmm. I wonder yeah. if for our lives, for holy living, it's to have Christ indwelling in me, that it's Him living His life in me, it's Him living His victory through mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something where I can't live a holy life, mm -hmm. but if I have the holy being who was sinless on this earth living in me, then I can have Christ's presence that can allow me then to live a life that that is above the things of this world. Mm -hmm. And that's what whole, a holy life is mm -hmm. for me. Amen. I will also add to that, I mean, you have the word holy. I mean, you have kadosh, right? So it's like the basic definition is it's like something consecrated, something set apart, mm -hmm. something unique. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if we want to be holy, we just have to be uniquely reserved for, for godly things. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. for me the, you know, the, what I love about that word and in the aspect of holiness is that we are just special, you know, we're, we're just pretty much special for God. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. This idea of setting apart, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the idea. The Israelites had a place that was set apart mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that was the temple, mm -hmm. a location. That was where God was living. They had a time that was set apart and that was 
the, the, the Sabbath day that was kind of set apart. Mm. And in the New wow. Testament, Paul kind of says, you know, there's no temple anymore. Mm. You are the temple of the, you are the holy space mm. that God uses. Mm. You are a yeah. holy space and you should treat yourself like you are a holy space and you should let God mm -hmm. deal through you. Uh, so it's this daily life idea. Yeah. Where do we see that in daily life where we need to kind of evaluate this, this more? Where do we have to become more holy? What, what aspects of life do we, do we struggle with this? I guess you could say the prevailing, uh, out of all the things we can be tempted in, the majority um, problem would be sexual immorality, issues of sexual immorality. It's something that Paul addresses in this, in this chapter and in other books that, that he's writing. Mm -hmm. He addresses that in so many books that it's just like a common theme. Uh, we don't like to talk about it much, but it's kind of a common theme. So what is up with this common theme? I remember when I was in Italy and we visited Pompeii and Herculaneum, the two big cities that were destroyed by Mount Vesuvius in AD 79. And one thing that struck me so much is as we were walking through the runes, the runes have a lot of murals that have made, mm -hmm. been made out of little stones mm -hmm. that are either placed into the floors or onto the walls. And to be honest, I was shocked when I walked through some of these runes of just the crude depictions and the very sexually explicit stuff that was on these, these walls. And I'm thinking this is a city that probably existed in Paul's time. And these are things he's facing. You know, we think that sometimes sexual immorality is is a thing of the modern world, um, but it wasn't just of of us today struggling with this. I yeah, mean, these are yeah. people in the ancient world that are dealing with these very, very um, real issues. And so Paul is having to talk about it quite a bit. And And I wonder if maybe, you know, why is it such a recurrent topic? For me, maybe it's because because of the significance of what of what the sexual aspect was of what the Bible talks about. I mean, you think of the very first time that, you know, there's there's an intimacy between a man and a woman. It's right in the Garden of Eden, Eden, the very one of the very first institutions mm -hmm. God gives to humankind. And Paul talks about it again in Ephesians chapter six and he shows that this this concept of of the intimacy between a man and a wife was to be a reflection of the intimacy that Christ's church and Christ himself are to have. And, and that bond of unity that the two become one. And I think that's, it's, it's a beautiful illustration and the devil has taken that and he's twisted mm -hmm. it and he's, he's made it become you know, entangled in vice and corruption now, rather than being the beautiful thing that God had intended it to be. And I think maybe another aspect of why Paul talked about it so much was that this, this whole idea of, of sexual immorality can damage a person you know, mm -hmm. physically and emotionally, and God wants us to treasure our bodies as His temple, but treasure mm. other people's bodies too. So almost maybe it's a matter of I treat myself with purity because I respect the body that God has given me, mm -hmm. but also I respect the Christ that is in, you know in another person, and I mm. I want to re I want to respect that, and I think that's why Paul brought it up a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, um. Why don't we go to 1 Corinthians 6 and, you know, piggyback 
um, from what we said earlier about um, a body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, 618. And it's just a clear, flee sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Wow. So we see this prevalent theme mm. from Paul in many, many of his epistles, just saying, you know, this is a problem, you know. Immorality is a huge problem that we have to defeat, and, and it's affecting us. It's hmm. interesting to me that he ties that in with the religion, right? The temple mm. of God yeah. and, and that. And that is, of course, a historical dimension. Yeah. Uh, people back then had temple prostitutes. That was mm. to be connected to God, you have to be in ec- ecstasy. That was a divine moment. Mm-hmm. And so to be connected to God was this climactic moment. And that's why there was a whole, and you were required mm. to participate in, in, in this endeavor. And, and so that was the way to connect to God. And what Paul says is, that's not the way to mm-hmm. connect to God. Mm-hmm. That is not. Your temple is a holy, the, the, your temple is a body of the, of the Holy Spirit. That's the holy space. Mm-hmm. So guard it. You don't have to go to different temples. You don't have to perform certain rites mm-hmm. that include sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. No, it is you are, and God wants you to be pure mm-hmm. and to follow the right path. Mm-hmm. And if, if that was such a prevalent part of their culture, where you, I remember walking through some of the same cities that you did over there, mm-hmm. and and you know the temple, the the, not the Christian temple, but the actual city temple, mm-hmm. uh, was just right there in the middle, and you had to walk by it every day to get wherever you were going. If it was it. that prevalent, it's got to. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no other mm-hmm. topic which Paul probably would have thought more expedient to talk about than mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Hmm. Why, why is sexual immorality so closely tied to the idea of, uh, or, or opposite to the idea of genuine love? I think it's almost asking the same question of why can't darkness and light exist in the same room together? Hmm. They, they're very diametrically opposed. When you look at what our society and maybe even Paul's society has talked about this idea of of uh, you know sexual immorality is it more of a a matter of your sinful lust your passions your desires where it's all about you and satisfying your own cravings whereas genuine love is given to us in the example that the bible says in john 15:13 it says greater love hath no man than this that he lays down his life for someone else so we see the bible's example of love is giving of yourself mm-hmm. it's of to the point that you're willing to lay down your life for someone mm-hmm. else so you see those two contrasts of extreme selflessness and giving of yourself and extreme selfishness of what can i get for myself and i think that's that's where we can't we can't can't bring these two ideas together because they're they're very opposites mm-hmm. in in nature. It is it is a bit hard to process through. In, I mean, in reality, as, as we live our lives, um, where we might think we experience genuine love, but really it's genuine lust. Um, I, it is something that cannot exist together, mm-hmm. but I wonder sometimes how, how much we discern that. 
that we are, how much do we discern whether or not we're ex we are living out John uh, John 15 or yeah John 15 and, and and John 13 where it's talking about that genuine love. I wonder if we get deceived sometimes. I think there are a lot of misconceptions. People tell themselves, well, this is okay, or it's uh, even okay with my partner, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there, there are many misconceptions that, that go on, and we say, well, we're fine with it. Uh, it's expected of me. Society puts certain pressures on certain behavior. Um, and so, well, I will just follow the mold, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of, it goes with a, with a turf. I uh, heard the story of a young girl who said, well, uh, in college, you're just supposed to have it. Mm. And so I don't really want it, but all my girlfriends are saying, well, why don't you have it? And yeah. why aren't you getting it? And, and so she was, she was feeling the pressure of this is what needs to happen and not realizing that it's not genuine love. Yeah. Yeah, just, just think about that. And let's go to Genesis 39. So we have this amazing character here, Joseph. Mm. You know, you have Potiphar's wife, She's just all over him and everything. And, and just notice his reaction in verse 9 of chapter 39. There is no other greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Mm. You know, I mean, definitely Potiphar's wife was definitely a beautiful, attractive woman. You know, and he was right there. He could have just saved a lot of trouble to himself to just, you know, perhaps have sex with her. But man, and my question is, would you, would you have done the same thing as, as Joseph? Would you have just said that out loud and said, you know, God, I mean, how can I do this, this sin against God? It's hmm. interesting that it's a sin against God, right? Mm -hmm. Not yeah, just, just against the person, exactly. yeah. not against just himself, but he had this concept that Paul will talk later about, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And if we do something to ourselves, whatever it is, whatever mm -hmm. unholy thing it is, whether it is in sexual matters or other matters, mm -hmm. health or other matters, yeah. it's always, always involves God as well. Well, it's this idea also, you know, where Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I draw men to myself. If, if we are truly experiencing this genuine love in Christ, um, we would be able to say, as Joseph did, that's not the genuine product mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, we'd be able to discern that um, properly okay. there, yeah. Now there's another coin to that, that story, and that is that uh, sex is dirty and unholy and should mm -hmm. never be done. And that's part of the tradition of uh, the Western world in some ways. You should never do it. And um, they, some people would just prefer Paul to say, never have sex. <laughs> uh, so how can we deal with, as Christians, with this, this balance, or how can we can we embrace God's will for our lives in sexual matters? It seems like we have to, as Paul calls his readers, the Christians in, in, in the first centuries, calls them to live lives wholly separate, mm -hmm. apart from the community surrounding them. It seems like we should also um, take that as, and for, for us, it seems like um, we have to look at sex as not just being about procreation, not just being about what we can get out of it, our pleasure, our desires, or whatever. Uh, it seems like we need to look at what the biblical model for sex, uh, and that what I've seen in the Bible is intimacy. Like that is the purpose for sex. God created us with His characteristics. Mm -hmm. He gave us that 
that ability for intimacy. And when we separate that out, um, take that away from sex, and try to make it about mechanical just procreation or uh, selfish reasons, uh, it then becomes dirty. But sex is actually a holy thing that God created. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how you point that out, that sex is actually something holy if mm -hmm. done right, mm -hmm. in the right context. Why don't we look at the, that story, the, most, the first romance? Why don't we go to Genesis 2, verse 23? So you have, after Eve is created, Adam says this about her. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. So the first thing that comes out of his mouth is a poem towards her. And then we get the formula for true relationships. So the formula for perhaps true sex. And notice where sex is. Um, verse 24. You know, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So what do we have here? We have... You know, the man is uh, mature enough to perhaps go, you know, go out to the real world. And then it continues, and be joined to his wife. So he's like literally cling to his wife, and he, perhaps that's marriage, right? And they shall become one flesh. Mm -hmm. So this one flesh idea is at the end. So sex at the end, it's like the, the reward. It's like the, the, the gift at the end, you know? It's not, it's not at the beginning. It's, you know, you have to go through, certain, through a certain formula first before you actually get into sex, but, but sex is right there and it, it's, it's in the Bible and it's screaming to us saying, you know, hey, God is there. Well, one thing that I question with, you know, when you ask the question, do we view it as something dirty and that should be avoided? Why would God institute something and create something that he knew would be dirty. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where where we see that when God brings something that was meant to be beautiful and it's holy, the devil will focus on that perspective to yeah. twist it and distort it. And I don't think we can look at the distortion and say, well, therefore it's bad then, because we've got to, to leave aside the distortion and say, what was God's original intended purpose? And and going to Ephesians chapter 5, looking at, at what Paul is talking about with this marriage relation between Christ and His church, in verses 28 and 29 he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And I think that brings a very beautiful aspect of maybe what God's intention was for the sexual union between a man and a woman, was to, to nurture each other, to cherish one another. It's a totally different concept than what we have in our society today. Mm -hmm. And and that concept of of being able to to treat it as a a very, like you said, a very holy thing, a very sacred union between two people that authentically and genuinely love each other. They're sharing something with each other that they will never share with anyone else. And that can bring a beauty of, of just the intensity that God wanted to bring to mm -hmm. this, this union. And, and then, like I said before, the devil just twisted it to bring something ugly out of something that God had intended to be beautiful. Yeah. I think it's important to see these, these two ideas that are both Mm -hmm. hurting the actual 
holiness of sex. Mm. Mm. Um, the let's not talk about it, it's dirty, it's yeah. evil, and the let's make it explicit. Yeah. And in fact, if we look at church history, we have a lot of that. Um, the Gnostic movement was divided into different camps. There were those that said, may we sin more readily because God's grace will be bigger in us, so let's mm. go out and just do whatever we mm. want to. And they just did all kinds of unspeakable things hmm. uh, in terms of sexual immorality. And then there were others that said, oh no, the body is evil and our spirit is the temple, so only our innards, so we should never get married at all. Hmm. We should be celibate and we should retreat and be as ascetics. And that was also wrong and both trends bring us to a false understanding of what true intimacy is. And, mm -hmm. and effectively, the example that God gives about him and his church, this close union, mm. this intimate relationship. Sometimes I think we get into the danger of having very specific rules. And, and it was skirt length has to be this long. Uh, when I went to college, <laughs> don't hold any hands. That was not permissible. And if you did, you got disciplinary action and uh, even couples weren't allowed to kiss in public and all of these. We make specific rules to protect the holiness of it. Mm. Is that effective? And uh, if not, how can we make it better? When I think of this concept of rules, you know, you just wonder that, you know, it never happens that a, a wife, you know, will have a set of rules and be like, you know, before I marry you, will you sign on the dotted line? You will always take out the trash. You will always put down the toilet seat. You will always fill my car with gas. I mean, we don't do that because we know that when love is there, those things come naturally, that they yeah. want to do those things because that they because they love you. And so you don't have to run through this mental checklist of, oh, did I do all the rules, yeah. you know? And, and I think when it comes to the idea of sexual purity, I don't have to have this list of rules that says, I'm not going to you know, do this, I'm not going to do this. It's a matter of, I'm not married, so I say, um, you know, since I'm not married, I say, I, I want to love and respect my future spouse, whoever he is, because I don't know who he is, but that love is going to, to keep me from wanting to do something now. It's going to keep me pure because that, that love yeah. puts a boundary around you mm -hmm. that rules don't necessarily you know, yeah. put in place. And, and so it's a driving factor that can prevent you from doing something that is, that is going to hurt you and hurt someone else and keep you within the bounds of scriptural purity. Yeah. I think there we've addressed some really important issues and the principles of sexual purity, sexual holiness in that fact. And Paul in this chapter has talked about holiness and honor and paralleled that or mm -hmm. contrasted that to sexual immorality, mm -hmm. porneia, where, where we get pornography from this word that he uses in the Greek. But then he moves to, I think, a very crucial element. And he says, this is bad intimacy. Let mm -hmm. me show you good intimacy. Mm -hmm. And he says, do this more and more, that you love one another. This is in verse 9. Love one another. Indeed, in verse 10, you do love all the brothers and sisters, but I urge you, do so more and more. My mm -hmm. beloved, mm -hmm. my friends, true intimacy in a community, in a bigger community, but also in the union of, of a man and a woman. Uh, that is true unity, do that, mm -hmm. d practice this proper mm. intimacy, this God-given intimacy, that is holy living. Mm. We should address these topics in a good and proper way, 
much more often so that we have more principles that we can stand upon. Thank you so much yeah. for dealing with this very difficult topic. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot O-R-G. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Michael Mueller. We'll see you next week.